This is Triple H, 100.1 FM with Ian Stewart. Good afternoon and welcome to Rotary Matters. Today we continue our exploration of Rotary, what it is, the good work that it does and how Rotarians and non-Rotarians can get involved. Now we call the programme Rotary Matters because it's going to find out for the next hour. Rotary impacts many lives, many causes and many concerns locally and all over the world. Today we're going to continue our investigation into some of the international aid projects driven by our local Rotary Clubs. Now this one takes place in the province of East Nusa Tenggara in Indonesia, just a few hundred kilometres north of Australia, so it's not very far away, but it feels like a world away. On average, people up there live on less than one US dollar per day, and over a third of the population is affected by malnutrition, so it's a a very poor country. Illiteracy, infant mortality and life expectancy are among the worst in Indonesia. Large parts of the province suffer from water shortages during the lengthy dry season, and most of its inhabitants are subsistence farmers who supplement their incomes with what they can earn from cash crops. As I said, it's a far cry from the standards that we enjoy in Australia. But thanks to the good work of local Rotary Clubs, something very positive and life-changing is happening there. Our guest in the studio today is Chris Curtis, a local Rotarian and a man who knows more than most about what needs to be done, what is being done, and how a scheme called the Small Grants Project is making such a huge difference. It's a great story which I'm sure you will enjoy. But look, if you're joining us for the first time, let me just give you a quick refresher about Rotary. It's a worldwide organisation set up over 100 years ago to foster the concept of service above self. Around the world, there are 1.2 million members, 35,000 Rotary clubs in 220 countries. So it's quite big. Here in Australia, we've got 30,000 Rotarians and 1,100 clubs with another 270 over in New Zealand. Here in the Triple H catchment area, we have 10 Rotary clubs, though as our signal goes beyond Hornsby and Karingai, this number is certainly higher. Most clubs meet weekly and they donate their time to a range of very worthy local, regional and international community service projects. So you're going to find Rotarians fighting disease, providing clean water, sanitation and hygiene, saving mothers and children, supporting education, growing local economies and promoting peace. Locally, you might see Rotarians running a food bank for those less able to pay. You might meet a student here on exchange from overseas, attending a local school and staying with a local family. Or Rotarians running a fundraising event focused on sending emergency shelter boxes to help communities overseas which have been devastated by natural disaster. Disaster. Today we're going to be meeting Chris Curtis, a Rotarian from Lane Cove, to tell us about another international activity. It's the Small Grants Project, changing the lives of poor communities in the Indonesian province of Nusa Tenggara. So stay tuned. It's Ian Stewart here with Triple H 100.1 FM. And uh, today we're going to be meeting Chris Curtis, but also with me in the studio, I'm delighted to have fellow Taramura Rotarian John Cronley. Uh, So welcome to you, Chris. Thank you, Ian. Uh, very good to be here. And John? Thanks, Ian. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So, look, um, we're going to have a great conversation this afternoon. Um, Nusa Tenggara is probably not very well known to people living in Australia, Chris Curtis. So just position it for us first, if you Thank would. Thank you, Ian. Wh- yes, where, where is it? <laughs> uh, one of the most unfortunate things with this project I did was to name it by the Indonesian name, which confuses everybody uh, no end. But it's easy to imagine. It's in Indonesia. Of course, and if you've ever been to Bali, that is the western end of the Nusa Tenggara province. It's a province in its own right, Nusa Tenggara Barat. The west, if you go right to the east, however, of the archipelago and then south, 
you come across Nusitengara um, uh, Timur, which is East Nusitengara, known in Indonesia as NTT, and is one of the 35 provinces of Indonesia. So, um, th- politically, what's the situation up there? Um, yes. it's, uh, it's a province. It's, um, it ha- it's um, governed by uh, a, a governor, as they all are, each one. And it's broken down into 21 regencies, as they call them, which you can think of basically as uh, municipalities. Um, it, it, as you mentioned earlier in your opening, it's amazing to think that this uh, province is only 850 kilometres, or at least the capital of it, Kupang, uh, is only 850 kilometres from Darwin in our very north, and yet many Australians have no knowledge of it whatsoever. Um, but to describe it, it's, there are three major islands. There's uh, West Timor, uh, Flores, and you can pick out the Portuguese name there, and, uh, and Samba, or Sumba in Indonesian, and many, many, many uh, smaller islands. Uh, generally speaking, um, the, 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 their problems come from their location, geographic location, and the weather patterns together with their geology, strangely enough. And population-wise, roughly? Uh, population, there are five and a half million people mm-hmm. living there. Um, they're mostly Roman Catholics, as it turns out, because of this Port- Portuguese influence. If anybody is familiar with East Timor, then they'll know pretty much the mix of people who are there. In fact, they have a few common languages with them, at least in the West Timorese uh, uh, region. Um they have all the problems you mentioned, um, poverty being the first one. Um, they have a, their incomes are about a third of the Indonesian national average. So within Indonesia, it's a relatively poor province. Yes, it's recognised as a poor province in Indonesia. Um, the people are mainly individual farmers, small farmers. So agriculture is the main agriculture activity by long shot. They've got no mineral or other deposits. That, that I'm aware of, at least. They grow um, cocoa um, and um, cashews and pretty much everything you can imagine would, would grow in a uh, tropical climate. Interestingly enough, when you're talking about the cocoa, um, of course, uh, it's used to make chocolate, as we all know, and yet it, uh, very few of the local children would have ever tasted chocolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's uh, the mainstay, of course, of the economy, or one of the, uh, the economy, or at least one of the islands. So, uh, Chris Curtis, how did um, Nusa Tangara come to the attention of yourself and Rotarians like you here in Australia? Well, I guess uh, it's the start of a very long process. I had been around Indonesia for a while teaching English uh, at various times, uh, usually for two-week stints, although I did spend uh, four weeks in uh, East Timor at one stage. And so I was rather familiar with the region. And, uh, and so I, uh, I was aware of the need that was there. I had to marry that to uh, the, the club's aspirations. At that time, <laughs> our Rotary Club had been doing many projects in uh, New Guinea... So the Rotary Club you're referring to is the one in Lane Cove? Yes, that's right, Lane Cove Rotary Club. Okay, Lane Cove listeners is in the northern suburbs of Sydney? 
Yes, we have a very um, long history, if you like, of uh, doing overseas aid projects. But usually what we've been doing up till um, fairly recently has been um, going and building um, schools and buildings, uh, repairs to, to buildings. When you say we, are you talking about Rotarians from Australia going across? Yes, uh, a group of Rotarians, perhaps uh, five or six, would uh, form a group and travel to uh, parts of New Guinea and uh, and uh, perhaps erect a, um, a school uh, domestic science block or something of that nature. So uh, did you um, spot the need and then say, listen, we'll come along and help you build a, a science block for your school? Or were the schools putting out their feelers and saying... Well, interesting, the schools were putting out their feelers, but with a, a number of Rotary Clubs, a lot of Rotary Clubs at that stage were receptive to those feelers and there was... Uh, uh, quite a few clubs visiting uh, in um, New Guinea at that time, and, and were there local Rotary clubs in those uh, in Indonesia, yes, and or Papua that were part of this conversation? Uh, yes, some of, there were quite a few in various parts of, uh, of New Guinea at that at that time, uh, but there are also other groups. Uh, <laughs> the Catholic Church was uh, uh, very uh, active in finding sites for us to to work at. But by the time we came uh, to about 2010 or so, um, most of the people who had travelled internationally and done these projects were starting to age a bit, quite frankly. Uh, walking on roofs and uh, swinging hammers was uh, no longer really a, uh, a job for us. So I'd kept my eyes peeled, or ears peeled, if you like, uh, for a potential other projects and uh, and we did in fact uh, conduct one um, uh, English speaking program to Aceh I had been there myself having taught English once there before but we took a, what we call a virtual school uh, to Aceh and uh, to teach the teachers and particularly in relationship to their pronunciation and uh, other skills uh, in English teaching uh, that went quite successfully, um, and uh, John, who is with us here at the moment, uh, was very uh, instrumental or very active in that group. Um, so we're talking here with Chris Curtis, and uh, Chris just introduced John Cronley for a moment. We'll be back with Chris and with John in a few moments just to continue the story about this wonderful work that has been done through your Rotary Club up in um, Indonesia. Here with my guests in the studio this afternoon, Chris Curtis and John Cronley from the Taramara Rotary Club. We're talking about a project taking place up in Indonesia. Uh, Chris, um, Kupang was a, a major focus area for yes, you? Yes, uh, Kupang's the uh, capital of the province, and I think many people know it. It's, it has a very interesting historical connection to Australia, as, as I'm sure many of your listeners would know. Uh, one is uh, that it's the place where Captain Bly landed in his little boat after been uh, uh, thrown off the uh, off the ship by Fletcher Christian and the mutiny of the bounty and uh, that's uh, I think uh, one film has not yet been made uh, that, that would be quite interesting and the other one of course is the Australian military forces uh, landed there and spread through uh, Timor Island uh, to resist the Japanese in World War II and there are memorials to them both in Kupang 
and uh, of course in Dili itself. So we've got a quite quite a close connection then with Australia. We have a very close connection with that area, and uh, that's why I like to think of them as our neighbours, and uh, particularly because that not the only reason, but one of the main reasons uh, why I think they deserve our assistance. And some of that assistance is discharged through the Nusa Tenggara Association. Yes. Um, perhaps, could I come back to that yes, in sure, a second? Sure. Yeah. Um, because I think what we need to understand in, in, is the area. I think I just discussed how they were uh, in great need in that area. And one of the reasons is that uh, they get very little rainfall. It's irregular. And they also, the islands are, uh, are coral reefs that have been thrust up by the geological action. So you can't, you can't uh, put down wells in such areas except around the very edges of the, um, of, the, um, of the islands. Wells being something they needed and that you felt you could help with. That's correct. But in, so instead of um, wells... Uh, we uh, provide them with tanks, um, usually about 25,000 litres of uh, a tank, which can be filled during the erratic rain that does uh, arrive. So what are these water tanks made from? Uh, they're made from local stone, and um, our program provides some reinforcing um, web iron as well as cement. And the, and the local people provide all the, all the muscle and uh, the labour. And, uh, and so it's done at quite a reasonable cost. So fresh water is one of the things you've been able to encourage. Uh, yeah, water is a big problem. Yeah. With all the sanitation and water and the, uh, the municipal health problems um, or community health problems all derive ultimately from lack of water. And uh, sanitation, what's that like up there? Um, that can also be a problem and so one of the other um, uh, things that we get, we provide is um, ablution blocks, usually uh, double ablution blocks which double as uh, bathrooms for the local people. Both a tank and a block can be provided um, for round about $300, $350 Australian. That is the material cost only. And so that's what we budget into our programs. So um, from Australia, you know what it's going to cost. Uh, do you provide the design skills for them to construct the Some standard the designs are already, already available. Yes. Uh, so we don't get too involved in, in actual design. They usually uh, put in a standard item. But there's a lot of other things as well. There are, uh, uh, for example, librarian training programs and... And uh, somebody mentioned recently uh, the living fences. It's very important that um, uh, stock not wander in from one property to the next, and particularly into uh, into some of the small schools that are in each um, slightly bigger village. Um, so these living fences are, are uh, provided. So is this an idea that you came up with? Uh, no, um, it's a traditional system. Right, just describe a living fence for us, please, Chris Okay, Curtis. a living fence is you, you, you get some, some stakes of the local timber, I think it's called gummel, and, uh, and you cut them to a certain length, uh, to maybe six, seven feet high. Six feet high would be probably enough. And, um, and then you put them at regular intervals and intertwine between them uh, barbed wire, which can be provided by our program. Then 
it's surprising how many of these stakes simply driven into the ground will eventually sprout <laughs> in the uh, climate that's there and create a create a tree. Right. <laughs> so literally it becomes more a hedge than a fence and very quickly uh, uh, provides a protection against stock and, and, and animal wandering. Yeah. So this is for uh, their own ca- cattle and for any wild animals that might be in the vicinity? Yeah, there aren't too many wild animals. Okay. I don't think they've seen a tiger for generations. Right, right. So a lot of this... Um, infrastructure you're talking about, helping people at a very grassroots level, water, sanitation, fences, um, and assistance with their agriculture. Um, is this readily um, welcomed by the locals? Oh, yes, yes. Very, very, very welcome indeed. Um, perhaps it's now time to bring in the New Zealand Gower Association, yes. the NTA, that you brought up earlier. Um, they're an organisation headed or, or started, founded really, by a, a chap called Dr Colin Barlow, a brilliant man uh, who's an agricultural economist. Australian. Australian, yes. Oh, no, actually not. He's British, actually. Okay. <laughs> but we don't hold that against him. <laughs> and uh, uh, he, he started the NTA by walking with his wife through the island and offering assistance uh, about 30 years ago. So he specialised in agriculture? Yeah, agriculture, that's yes. right. But he soon realised that they want, uh, needed more than just advice. They needed physical help. Right. And uh, through his uh, activities, they developed the Noosa Tangara Association based in Canberra. It's a, it's a non-government organisation. But they are the ones that identify these small projects that we, uh, in our Rotary project, then... Uh, Activate, if you like, in accordance with our program. Okay, so we, you've used the word small projects. We're talking about small grants across many projects, I think, aren't we? That's right. A small grant is uh, from two hundred to three hundred fifty dollars for a which can go a long way. It can go a long way, but it used, individually that could get you a, a ablution block, uh, so many, um, so much fencing um, and uh, water tanks. It could it could furnish a whole school with furniture. I mean, do you have to put in plans to local authorities in the same way that we do here in Australia? <laughs> no, that sort of bureaucracy is uh, not there. At least, at least not for us. For the uh, NTA, who are very close to the local authorities and are very much supported by them, uh, they probably may, might have to mention what they're doing to them. Um, but um, but the local people, as I mentioned earlier, are, are very, very supportive mm-hmm. uh, of their actions. Um, I have to say, too, that there are also uh, Indonesian um, foundations, non-profit foundations, that give a lot of assistance uh, to the activities that, 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 that carry on. And uh, even the um, agricultural department, for example, will uh, provide field offices uh, for advice to farmers about uh, cultivation of various things. So uh, here in Sydney, you're with the Lane Cove Rotary Club and you're one of a few locally that have adopted um, this project um, to to assist people in Nusa Tengara by raising funds to donate small grants to these communities. Well, we took it a bit further than that. Yep. At the beginning of the project, we realised that these were going to be public funds raised by Rotarians and they had to be very much accountable 
And uh, so we had to have some rigorous controls over the project. So the, the rotary aspect of it, um, it works like this. We, we select from a, a list of projects provided to us by the NTA. And then if we are happy with those from a rotary point of view, um, we, uh, we fund them to a budget that we've pre-selected. Um, sometimes our budget's a bit under-budgeted, so we have to fund another list. But before we even begin it, um, and ask NTA to proceed on them, we know what projects they are, we know what groups are doing them, um, and we're helped there by a, a traditional system in the villages called uh, Kolompok, which simply means group, and uh, it's a uh, cooperative group that gets together between four and maybe a dozen farmers and that that helps us identify who the people are getting uh, who are getting the um, um, the grant so we know quite a bit about them and also at the end of the project when it's successfully completed um, then we have a, a final report presented to us so that it's signed off by the NTA We'd like to think of the NTA as, as our service provider, if you like, as far as the Rotary um, project is concerned. And, and other, other Rotary clubs outside of our immediate area here in the northern suburbs of Sydney that are supporting this project, these projects? Uh, yes, very much so. In fact, we've, up till now, we've relied on other clubs to provide the funds for the project. Um, and just recently, or I think about 12 months ago... Um, we managed to uh, cooperate with Tarum, uh, not Tarum, with um, Belconnen Club in the ACT uh, to clone our project, and so they have a similar system going in Belconnen in, in uh, District Nine Seven One Zero, I think it is. So, Chris Curtis, you must your work is making a huge difference to these communities up there. We want to hear a little bit more about it. No great surprises there. With me in the studio this afternoon, we have Chris Curtis from the Lane Cove Rotary Club who's talking about a project that they're doing up in Indonesia um, with the Nusa Tenggara Association. And also with me is fellow Rotarian John Cronley. John, I think you want to ask something. Yes, I was very interested to know, Chris, whether, uh, what problems you faced when you were establishing the project and how often do you need to go back there to uh, ensure that it's going the way you'd like it to go? Uh, thank you for the question, John. I like to go back there about every 12 months um, because the NTA run a very uh, effective inspection program where they go back, in fact, every six months and stay for four to five weeks to get around all the small projects and and ensure that they've been suitably completed and uh, and also, of course, to sign up for uh, the villages or the Kolompoks for further projects as well as give advice in uh, in the field. Um, I think your qu- uh, first part of your question was uh, the problems we had. The biggest problems you had. Yeah, the biggest problems. Well, starting the, the program wasn't too difficult except for... Um, <laughs> for uh, getting a focus on how we were going to handle it and also recognition that some 
rotary programs don't necessarily fit um, other projects. For example, our project w- was made up of something, could be any, anything like 30 or so small projects. How do you describe that? It's not like a building or something that you can focus on. And uh, many of the rotary uh, uh, grant programs didn't allow for that sort of thing. And also, at that stage we were starting up, they had uh, something called a pilot scheme, uh, which, which hindered us for quite a while. But eventually we decided to throw all that stuff away, start from basics and uh, simply raise the money and put it in the right direction. So we, we, we uh, cobbled up a... or didn't cobble it. We actually spent a lot of time in uh, uh, drafting a, a program, a, uh, a procedure that we gave to NTA uh, to satisfy our specifications of what we wanted from it. And we went into the probably the hardest thing of all, that is the fundraising. And uh, it was here, of course, that it was essential we had to communicate... So I went around to many clubs and spoke about uh, our ambitions and how it should all how it worked, and uh, and the clubs were generally very supportive of us. Um, the physically on the ground, one of the biggest difficulties is the fact that all of these uh, villages and groups we go to uh, seem to be on the side of hills, <laughs> and uh, the ground is very very steep. You exhaust yourself going up and down, and when these um, NTA people, along with their volunteer helpers, Rotarians, and others who are involved with the actual um, rotary side of the project. Uh, when we go along with them, we're often <laughs> very quickly exhausted, <laughs> uh, but it's very satisfying. Um, so how often do you go yourself? Uh, I try to get over there once a year, mm-hmm. but uh, often it seems to be averaging about twice a year now. Um, perhaps I'm slowing down a bit. <laughs> Um, yes, it, we're, we're trying to move away from the fundraising um, area where, where, the, where the load is purely on Rotary and Rotary clubs. And the, um, the current um, director of, the pro, of our project, uh, Stephen Miller uh, from Lane Cove Rotary, has some very innovative ideas about uh, raising money. One of which uh, involves uh, schools and... Uh, schools you, here? Schools in Australia, in yes. Australia, yeah. Yes, that's right. In, schools in Australia where he's, he's um, cooperating with a group called... Um, I'm trying to find it here frantically. And I can't find it, but I might... No worries. Chris, we give you time to find it. With me in the studio, we have Chris Curtis from Lane Cove Rotary Club and helping me as well is John Cronley from Taramara. We're learning about some fantastic work, life-changing work taking place not far away from Australia, just 850 k's north of um, Australia. We come to Indonesia and the area known as Nusa Tenggara, a very impoverished area but one area where Rotarians and others are doing some tremendously useful work across the fields of education, provision of water, sanitation and advice on agriculture too. So, um, Chris Curtis, how can um, our listeners um, help in any way with, uh, with this work that you're doing? Uh, thank you, Ian. Yes, um, they can help vastly um, by selecting, firstly, of course, 
the uh, small grants program to, to assist in the first place. There are many needy projects, but not too many that are needy to our nearest neighbours. So how do they find the small grants project? Yeah, small, this small grants Indonesia project is what we now call the Nusa Tenggara project. Um, and I should note that 100% of our donation or of your donation money goes to the actual uh, small grant that has been given. Um, you'll be here, you'll be helping our nearest neighbours, as I mentioned. And keep in mind that this project has the types of financial and ethical controls um, that many other programs, I think, uh, possibly don't have. Which is a hallmark, is a hallmark of Rotary projects. Absolutely, yes. The that governance is absolutely 100%. We, we insisted on good governance right from the beginning. If you know, know more about this, of course, you can, uh, you can always ring me on... Uh, can I give the number? Of course. Right the number is 0417-049-335. That is my personal telephone number and or you can text me and uh or you can um, you could email our um, project manager stephen miller on steve at 154.com.au and uh but your checks should you have them checks uh, <laughs> as large as possible as you can afford of course <laughs> to Lane Cove Rotary at box 86 Lane Cove and of course mention the small grants project because surprisingly we have a number of international projects running at Lane Cove Rotary and we're very proud of that Well Chris Curtis I congratulate you on um, the work that you've done as you say it began you were teaching up in that part of the world you came across some needs you parlayed that into uh, what has become the small grants project making a big difference to people who are living up in that part of the world. Um, listeners, you just heard from Chris how you can um, help. And I guess if you forgot all of that and simply Googled Small Grants Project Indonesia, you'll find um, a link to the Lane Cove Rotary Club and how you could best uh, support this, yes, that's th true. Th this wonderful work. So I wish you well and on, uh, for, the, for the program, on, uh, ongoing success. And uh, again, um, very well done to you for all your work. Thank you, Ian, and thank you very much for inviting me. That's a pleasure.